Hey, 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 welcome to the Wealth and Business Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined with Tim Bratz, the CEO and founder of Legacy Wealth Holdings, a real estate investment company, acquires and transforms distressed property commercial apartments, building high-performance investment assets all the way from the United States of America. This amazing individual, we connected a couple of months back in social media. I love his content. And I just wanted to kind of get into his mindset, how you go and do over 400 million dollars in real estate portfolio within a very short space of time he's been doing property for so without further ado i want to really welcome team how you doing my man how's it going not bad not bad it's so good yeah listen it's not i'm so like i'm so fired up having you on this podcast because i know you're so busy like getting you down on this podcast episode was wasn't easy (laughs) i've had a lot of stuff going on we're selling a, a chunk of our portfolio had a lot of refinances going on and i bought an island actually here in uh in the united states 110 acres so i'm renovating that and putting uh like little tiny cabins on there for short-term rentals and a lot of other stuff so there's just a lot on the plate right now and uh i appreciate you being flexible on your schedule and i'm glad we were able to make it happen great 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 i mean that's what it's all about flexibility bring the nice content to our audience your audience to just keep people fired up because when I look at your story, like these are ordinary people. I'm an ordinary guy trying to do big things. You're yeah. ordinary guy doing some crazy numbers in the United States. Like some numbers that, you know, over here in the UK, those are, you know, it's 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 absolutely insane. 400 million, you know, in mm-hmm. flips in, you know, investment portfolio. So let's very quickly talk about yourself. Who who are you and how did you get into wealth creation? Oh man. So I'm, I'm from Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, originally. I don't know if you guys know LeBron James and uh, you know the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's where I'm originally from. Grew up in a very blue collar family. My dad was a policeman and uh, my mom was a stay at home mom. She, she was very active in the schools and volunteering. And um, when I was going through college and uh, you know going through high school, like I, I knew that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Like I saw my dad working a full-time job as a policeman, but then he had a part-time business uh, doing security and personnel for hospitals and factories and apartment complexes. And he had, uh, so he'd have, you know, guards that would walk around and make sure the place was safe. Right. And he made more in his part-time business than he did in his full-time job. He made about twice as much in his part-time business as he did in his full-time job. So that uh, I'm sure you're familiar with rich dad, poor dad, the Robert Kiyosaki uh, book. And, and that kind of like resonated, like he was teaching me, to go to school, get good grades, get a good job uh, so I can work for somebody else. But I saw right, exactly what he was doing and where the majority of his wealth was being created, which was entrepreneurship. So that led me down a path of wanting to work for myself. I, I worked for other people. I always thought my bosses were jerks, right? Or, and, uh, um, and, and maybe they weren't. Maybe I was just a bad employee and I wasn't employable. And I uh, just realized I wanted to do my own thing. So, um, you know, hey, I, I, I did stuff like like burning CDs. Remember when Napster and Audio yeah. Galaxy and all those were around? Like <laughs> yeah. I'd burn CDs and sell those or I'd cut, friend, I'd cut hair for all my friends. Or then um, I started a painting business when I was in college and learned a little bit more about real estate. And this is 2003 to 2007 and realized how much money there was in real estate. And as somebody who was very motivated by 
you know, making money and the idea of making money and what that could do, uh, I started pursuing real estate. So when I graduated from college, you guys call it university, right? Um, yep. In 2007, I moved out to New York City. My brother lived in New York City and um, I got my real estate license. So I got my real estate license. I ended up working for a commercial real estate brokerage, which essentially um, they did some investment sales of big bar of big buildings, but I was a new guy. They didn't let me touch any of that stuff. I just helped with leasing uh, a retail, like a business space or an office space. And um, I brokered one small 400 square feet. Um, I don't know how many, what, what is that? A hundred, probably less than a hundred square meters or something. You know, I, um, I don't know exactly what it is with a, um, a conversion is, but, probably a hundred, yeah, a hundred square meters. And, um, it was $10,000 per month, uh, for rent. All right. And I just realized there's so much money in that. And it was a 12 year lease term and the rents bumped up by 4% every single year. And I did the math and I realized off of this little, this little, uh, space, this landlord's going to make almost $2 million over the next 12 years. And he had eight spaces, eight. And this was the smallest one. And then he had 10 stories of apartments above it. And I just realized like, I need to be owning real estate, not brokering real estate. So I, uh, I ended up moving down to Charleston, South Carolina, which is more of a kind of a beach town, historical town, um, great quality of life and decided I want to become a real estate investor. This is 2008. So I decided I'm going to become a real estate investor. And then the entire market collapses and everybody says run for real estate. Yeah. And, and uh, I was like, I just showed up. But the good news was I, I didn't get involved in all the trouble that happened before the market collapsed. And I got involved in real estate as an, as an investor after all these prices had, had bottomed out. So I bought my first property for $14,000. And I put another $5,000 into it and I sold it for $33,000 in the heat of 2009. You know, uh, it was the summer of 2009. So it was 13 years ago, I bought my first property and uh, made money on it, made a lot of money on it. The biggest check that I had ever made to that point in my life and realized like, even though the market and the, the news and the media is saying that the market's terrible, you can still make money in a bad market, right? If you know what you're doing. Yeah. So I went and did it again. I flipped another house. I ended up raising private money. There were people that said, Hey, you have the time, you have the knowledge, you have the expertise. I have the money. Can I invest money with you? And then they started investing capital with me. And then I would use their money, my effort and go and buy deals. And we'd split the deal in some, in some sort of fashion, or I'd pay them an interest rate or whatever that would look like. And uh, we just kept on doing deals. And then as you do another deal and another deal, and it just starts compounding. And all of a sudden um, you get people who can write bigger checks. And all of a sudden you get a multifamily property. And so that's what ended up happening. I, I bought my first apartment building, which was just an eight unit building in 2012. Um, and I loved the sense of efficiency in it, right? Like you go to one location, you, you meet your contractor at one, uh, one place, you, you, look at one foundation, you look at one roof, you have one utility bill, you have one tax bill, you have one uh, um, uh, place to go and collect rent. Like everything is all in one location. It's so much more efficient than driving to eight different locations and looking at eight different roofs and eight different foundations and meeting contractors, at eight 
different spots and having eight tax bills. So that sense of efficiency really resonated with me. And, it, and I realized apartments, apartment buildings, multifamily real estate is where I wanted to put my focus. And, uh, and that's what I ended up doing. So I just, I stopped flipping houses. I just focused on apartments and, you know, there's been a lot of ups, a lot of downs over the course of the past 10 years. But over the past 10 years, I've accumulated a portfolio of over 4,000 doors, uh, 4,000 units, $400 million of, of value. And that, you know, that number fluctuates based on what's going on with the market a little bit, but, um, and we're just getting started. I feel like, right. I was pretty bad for the first, I don't know, seven, eight years that I was in real estate. And I got pretty good about five years ago. So things have really started compounding since about 2016, 2017. Wow. Wow. What a massive, 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 massive explanation of that. Like the way you dip into it is just so super amazing. You know, there's two things I want to really emphasize on, and I really probably would maybe just stick to this two conversation for the next couple of minutes while we're on this session. So you said here that you basically started, you built and you built and you built, and it got to a point where you started using other people's money. In the UK here, it's quite a very big topic, OPM, other people's money. Now, how easy was that literally you know, being able to get people who was prepared to fund your projects, you know, people who saw the value that you're going to provide and people who understood that you had the time, because first of all, you have to be able to show you've got the value and that you've got the time and you've got the expertise in order for people to just trust you with that money. And uh, somehow regularity is something that is very paramount here in the UK. So obviously you've got to know who's giving you the money, KYC, know your customer, know your client, anti-money laundry license, or, uh, you know, doing, you know, the appropriate anti-money laundry checks, you know, if is the UK. So how did you manage to really make this proposition and to actually help you scale your business? Yeah, I, I, it was not easy, right? I was 23 years old. I'd never done a real estate deal before. And the market was you know, on, on the, on the news and on the media, it was, everybody was saying it was horrible real estate market. All these people who were in real estate previously ended up, you know, all these mortgage brokers and bankers ended up losing their jobs, going bankrupt. All these land developers lost all their property. And you're hearing all these horror stories of how bad the market is. It wasn't easy to get people to lend me money. So I, I, first of all, you got to go and plant a lot of seeds. You got to go talk to a lot of people. You have to knock on a lot of doors, right? Especially if you're new, especially if you haven't, you don't have the expertise or the uh, credibility in the space. You have to go and talk to a lot of people and, and go through the numbers, right? It's a numbers game initially. And you have to do what you say you're going to do, right? And, and by doing that over and over and over again, you're building your character, you're building your resume, and you're building your reputation of what people see, um, how you do business, right? And so that starts compounding. And now it's easy for me to go and raise money because people have seen a track record. Early on, it's not easy. I, I can say that, that private lenders look at three things when they're looking to make a loan on anything, right? If I'm looking to invest in anything, I'm looking at three things. Number one, what is the asset? Like, what is it collateralized by? What is it backed by? Um, new technology is, is untested, right? You don't know if it's going to be a boom or a bust. Yeah. Uh, E-commerce e could be successful, might not be. Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. Yeah, I think it's got a lot of legs long-term, right? But yeah. there's been a lot of volatility in that. The stock market real estate is one of the most stable things that you can 
uh, uh, borrow money against, right? Yeah. It's something that everybody lives in a house. Everybody watches. I don't know. You guys have HGTV and, and all these house flipping shows and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like there's things like that, that people have a comfort level with real estate. So the asset is pretty easy to get people to lend based on real estate, right? It's a pretty easy hurdle to overcome. The second thing that they're looking at is what is the return, right? What is the return on investment? Meaning, uh, is the reward worth the risk, right? If it's somebody who's new, who's never done a deal before, you have to expect to pay more to your private money lender because they're making a, taking a bigger risk on you versus somebody like me who's done 6,000 deals before. They know I know what I'm doing, right? I've been through everything. It's very difficult for somebody to kind of, you know, uh, trick me in, in a deal. So, um, their, their money's very safe with somebody who's been in the business a long time, who's done over and over and over transactions. I got multiple attorneys that work in my office, a big team and all this stuff that double checks everything, right? That is more secure of an investment, which you don't have to pay as much because it's, it's, uh, you know, interest rates a function of risk. The riskier the investment, the risk, the higher the interest rate, the safer the investment, the lower the interest rate. Typically, how it plays out. So you got to pay attention to that. And then another function of, of the return is the opportunity cost, right? Like if I invest my money with you versus uh, I invest my money with the, the girl down the street, I, I don't, maybe she's willing to pay, uh, maybe it's an equal amount of risk, yeah. but she's willing to pay a higher interest rate, right? Or, or you're willing to pay a higher interest rate and it doesn't matter, right? So when you're looking at that, you got to understand what are the other options that your private money lender has? You know, are they making a ton of money in, a traditional business? Are they, do they have other investments? Are they a hard money lender where they average 20% returns a year? Or do they have all their money in a bank account that makes 0.01% per year? You know, And so uh, if you're looking at it different ways, like you can structure the conversation or structure the deal differently based on uh, you know, what are they, what's their opportunity cost to put the money with you versus where it's at right now. So number one was the asset. Number two, was the return. And number three is the most important. Number three is not return uh, on investment. It's return of investment, right? It, it means they're looking at you as the borrower and they're saying, does Daniel have the fortitude to repay me my money, right? Does if, if the market collapses and this deal goes to hell, is Daniel willing to go and work uh, you know, third shift at Taco Bell or McDonald's or make sure that I get my money back. And does he have that kind of character? Right. And I've distributed that kind of character with my private money lenders, which is why it's easier for me to raise money. You know, previously I didn't have that track record. Right. But uh, there was deals, not all deals go well. Right. I've had multiple deals that I lost money on, but I lost money. My investors never lost money. I still paid them the return that I told them that I was going to pay them. Even if they were just an equity partner and they didn't even a fixed return, I still made sure that they got all their money back. And then if they didn't make the return that I thought that they were going to make, I'd give them a little bit of equity in a new deal without having to bring any money to it. Just so that way it would sweeten it and, uh, and they see me doing the right thing. And that stuff starts compounding, right? That stuff takes a snowball effect. And all of a sudden people start hearing about it and they're like, Tim does the right thing. Now it's easy for me to raise money. I've raised over a hundred million dollars of mom and pop and just entrepreneurs and everyday people like you and me 
who've invested a hundred thousand up to maybe a couple million dollars. I've never taken any institutional, uh, equity, uh, or capital from any of these like hedge funds or anything like that. I've only raised money from individuals based on those three principles, the asset, the return and the borrower. Wow. Wow. This is so massive. Like what you've broken down there, because I'll give you a little bit about insight about me. So six, seven years ago, 2016, 17, I was a full-time Uber driver. I was a taxi driver and I basically, I built a small portfolio, not compared to yours. Okay. 400 million we're talking about here. So for me, I've just built a small portfolio of about 7 million. And I went from an Uber driver to building a small property portfolio here in the UK, which is now value in the region of 7 million. And some of them, yeah. So, and, and also obviously like coding onto them and generating cash flow as we go. So, and uh, I built them from scratch, especially also trying to raise money. Now, I'll say this, it wasn't easy for me to raise the first 5,000 pounds. All right, it wasn't easy. I think it's been more difficult to raise 5,000 pounds than to even raising 100,000 pounds because the guy with 5,000 pounds, probably that's all he ever probably had. And maybe that's all he would maybe probably ever had. So it was quite difficult for him to let go of that money. Now, the reason why I had to go back to this you know, of my story, how I started, just to kind of get you to understand where I'm going to ask this question from. So now we're going to have two people listen to this podcast right now. We have the people who are like, okay, I'm seeing what Tim is saying. All right. Tim has done over 400 million. All right. Which in the UK, that's some big numbers. All right. Because you don't find people with a, a you know, a 400 million pounds property business and transaction on the high street. You don't find them every day. Mm-hmm. And whereas you can find someone that's got seven million pound property and they would never even talk about it because it's too little, right? So you've basically used other people's money, not institutional, all right, you know, funding to do your projects. You've done from commercial to flips to apartments to doors, which in the UK we call portfolio in terms of like number of houses that you own. But I know in the, in the United States of America, you say doors based on multiple units, like basically like having a complex of flats, apartments, mm-hmm. all right? And you have apartment one to two to three to four, you guys call it doors. Now, coming to my question is, building a 400 million pound property portfolio or transa- in transaction, how difficult was you raising your first, you know, investment finance, OPM, and how you know, and, and it was it was it mom and dad? Was it was it a friend and family? Was it an ex colleague from work, or was it even maybe your partner or your your you know you know any anyone that was very, very close to you? How did you really was able to make that communication and conversion for them to even believe yeah, yeah, that great you question. could be able to deliver? So it that, was that not mom and dad, instance. right? Like mom and dad remembered Tim as. Uh, a little, a little baby, you know, Timmy, you know, like who was pooping his pants and his diapers, you know, and like, and then in high school when I'd get arrested for, for being out too late or in college when I'd get arrested for drinking underage or uh, all the failures I had in business before I became a real estate investor, right? Like, so mom and dad watched the news and they didn't, they weren't going to put money with, uh, with little Timmy. Um, all my friends were recently out of college, university, and, uh, you know, they're, they're drinking all of their, all their salary at the bar every single weekend, you know, five days a week, they're out, uh, partying and having fun. So they didn't have any money saved up. 
I got money. I bought my first house on a credit card. I called up the credit card company and I asked them to increase my limit and they increased my credit limit and I bought it with a balance transfer check from my credit card company. That's how I bought my first one. I bought my second house by getting the seller to finance it. The seller is already comfortable with the asset, right? The seller is already comfortable with the property and they didn't really know me. So I had to introduce myself and, you know, share my background and tell them what I was going to do. And I brought some money down and they realized that if I failed or fumbled, then they could take the property back. Um, and so I got seller financing on my second property. And then I did a little bit of wholesaling, which is like a signing of contracts. I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with uh, wholesaling real estate, but you can actually contract a house for, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. And then somebody else is willing to pay $110,000. So you just give them the contract to buy it for a hundred grand and they give you $10,000. So they're all into it for $110,000. I got a $10,000 finder fee and the seller still got their $100,000 that they wanted. And that, that, and I never had to buy the property. I didn't use any of my time any, or not any of my, um, any of my own money, any of my own credit. And so I didn't have to close on the property. I didn't have closing costs or any overhead. That's a great way to learn how to find buyers and how to find sellers. And that's what I did a lot of. And when I did that, I met people in the real estate industry that said, hey, if you come across a deal that you want to flip or you come across a deal that you want to fix and rent, then uh, I'll, I'll give you the money for it. So I started hanging out in circles of real estate professionals. So I don't know what you guys have in, in the UK, but we have something called real estate investors associations. Yeah, in the UK, we have a lot of networking events. And with what you just said, you know, outside of the country in the UK, we call it, you know, things like deal sourcing or deal packaging, where you, yeah. you, you're like a solution provider. You don't have to do anything. All you just need to do is to find a good deal, negotiate the price below market value. You get paid between £10,000 to £5,000 to even £3,000. So yep. yeah, it's it's quite similar, but I mean, real estate is is one everywhere, right? It's the same. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just different, different verbiage. Yeah. Exactly, it's just the different terminology. So go on, my man. Yeah. So no, I, I so I by hanging out in these circles of real estate professionals, here's where I get, I raise most of my money. It's from real estate professionals, meaning realtors who are already familiar with real estate and they understand good investments, good deals, and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's hard money lenders like. If you just Google search hard money lender, Cleveland, Ohio, hard money lender, London, uh, United Kingdom, right? Like hard money lender, wh wherever that you live, see if there's any private money lenders, hard money lenders, people who are out there marketing themselves that who do this as a business and just Google it, right? People just don't Google. It's, it's, it's a great resource that we all have access to. Yeah. Um, so do that. And then, and then we have something called mastermind groups. I don't know if you've ever read the book, um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, but he's got this concept. Book. What's that? I said my favorite book. Think oh, and grow it's rich. amazing. It's amazing. And he talks about masterminds in there. And, um, you know, people have this like derogatory thought about a mastermind, it's like a criminal mastermind. No, yeah. uh, I mean, they, they've used it in a criminal, in a criminal fashion, but it's essentially a bunch of brains getting together, a bunch of entrepreneurs or real estate professionals or whatever your, your, uh, um, uh, problem you're trying to solve is you get together with some other professionals in that space and you brainstorm and you think about ideas. Well, Hey, what are you doing here? Have you ever tried this? Hey, I'm facing a, a bottleneck here. Well, I've done this in order to solve that problem. Uh, have you ever tried that? What, let me make a connection for you. And yeah. all of a sudden by being in a room of just a handful of, of, uh, you know, forward thinking entrepreneurs, 
you're able to punch through any sort of glass ceiling that you're facing. And those groups, there's groups for real estate, a lot of them for real estate. There's a lot of them for e-commerce. There's, there's some for cryptocurrency now. There's some of them for, uh, I don't know, people who own restaurants. There's some for people who own, and you can just Google search that and try to find a mastermind group. And in those groups, I have raised tens of millions of dollars. Like I don't really do e-commerce, but I go and I, I have a bunch of buddies who do e-commerce. I'm part of a, an e-commerce group and none of them know what to do with their money. They all have money. They all make a bunch of money from selling on Amazon and Walmart and all this other stuff. And none of them know what to do with their cash. And yeah. so they just, they just sit on it or they buy stupid shit with it. Like, you know, they're buying cars and, and liabilities and things that, that cost money and take money out of their pocket instead of making them and multiplying their money. And so I come in there as the solution in that group of how to multiply your money. They can go and make money. I'm the guy who helps them multiply it. So they all put their money with me and then I deploy it into real estate deals. So it's getting into entrepreneurial circles. If you're a business owner, kind of what you said before, Daniel, is um, hanging out with people who uh, have $100,000 is very different than hanging out with people who have $5,000. Typically, if you have somebody who's got a hundred grand or 200 grand or 500 grand to invest, they're too busy to babysit you and, and be chirping in your ear all day, every day about, Hey, what's going on with my money? Where are we with this? Where are we? Like they're busy running their own business. They say, Hey, make sure my payment hits on the first of every single month. Give me an update every couple of months. So I know what's going on and you don't hear, hear from them again. They're some of the easiest people to borrow money from because they're too busy, you know, and then they're, they're too busy making more money and then they make more money and they put more money with you. So and go and hang out where the money is, right? Those are entrepreneurs typically, um, I would say entrepreneurs, real estate professionals, or people who make $200,000, 200,000 euros per year or more. Those are like a players in my book. So I really like how you break it really down because you said, no, Daniel, it's not my friends. No, Daniel, it's not, it wasn't mom and dad. And, you know, and no, Daniel, it wasn't people that knew me because everyone was busy drinking themselves, you know, every now and then. And, and this is one of the things. So in the, in the UK property space here, uh, you know, I basically started, I, you know, imagine this. Let, let me break something down very quickly. Imagine this for a minute, right? So I'm an immigrant from Nigeria, originally born and raised in Nigeria. I've lived in the UK for 18 years. And bear that for one minute. Seven years before that, before I became quite successful in property, I was an Uber driver. So I have really low quality people in my network. All right. With low financial you know, background and stuff like that. And I've literally gone to racing money now. And and uh, I say this to people all the time. It's you have to learn to network. You're going to have to learn to, to tell people what you do. You're going to learn to be someone that be a solution provider to other people. So you get paid. So you be a facilitator, you know, somebody who make things happen, showing value and opportunity in order for those people to invest into you. And then, you know, be someone that is shaking and moving, you know, you know, your network because your network is your net worth. All right. Without network, you're absolutely done. Look at your social media, right? Social media is the best marketing tool this world has ever seen. And it's free. All you have to do is create content. All you have to do is tell people what you're doing. All you have to do is help inspire people or help educate people. And it's game over. It is free free to have 5,000 friends on Facebook. It's free. It's free. So why, why don't you go find friends of a common future, not friends of a common past, mm. right? Instead of friends of a common zip code, 
Go and find friends of common goals, right? Where are they going? What direction are they going in? And go and friend up entrepreneurs. Go and friend up real estate professionals. Go and figure out who owns the pizza shop down the street. Go and find out who does this, does that in town. And, and friend up people who are making money, who are making moves, who are doing things that can help source deals for you, that can help uh, bring money to your projects, that might be able to help provide resources or connections uh, in some capacity to you and your business. Go and do that. That is a free activity to send out 5,000 Facebook friend requests to entrepreneurial-minded individuals, right? And now you just have to start creating content, and it's not that difficult. It's finding other people. You don't even have to be the one who creates it, right? Like, you're having me on your podcast. I am bringing value to your audience. And although all, not not all, but like the value is coming from me, majority of the value is coming from me, right? Because you're interviewing me. You are getting all the credibility because you are the medium in which you brought the value, in which they saw the value, right? If they weren't friends with you on social media, they wouldn't be able to see this interview and get value out of this interview. My point being, you don't have to be the expert. Even if you're new, go and find an attorney, go and find, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, we have CPAs. I don't know if you guys have, I don't know what the correlation is over there, um, uh, like tax attorneys, tax accountants. Tax advi- so we call them tax, tax advisors. advisors. Okay, tax advisors. Um, uh, go and find a marketing expert. Go and find somebody who's a, a property manager expert. Go and find a contractor who really understands what's going on with the you know construction processes. And go and interview them on a Facebook Live, or just record it on your phone and then post it on Instagram, post it on TikTok, post it on on Facebook, post it on YouTube, post it on uh, LinkedIn, and just post it everywhere. And then eventually, you're going to be known as the person who brings value for real estate or talks and interviews great business minds and all this other stuff. And you're going to get a following base. And then when you've given so much value, when you start asking for something, say, hey, guys, I'm trying to raise money, take down this apartment complex. Who's interested in partnering up? Raise your hand, shoot me a direct message, and, uh, and let's hop on a phone call. All of a sudden, you're going to have all these people who say, you know what, Daniel's given so much value. I almost feel obligated to either buy a course from him or invest in one of his deals or, or do something and support him in some way. So let me reach out to him and see if there's ways that we can do business together. So you give, 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 give as much as you possibly can. And then you ask. And then you give, 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 give even more. And then you ask. And if you always lead with value, you will have everything that you could ever want in this life. Wow, this is so powerful, man. This is a powerful, very, very powerful value. Guys, I hope you're taking notes. It's very important to kind of see how, you know, the mindset of explosion can lead you to a greater destination. So, team, right, let's 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 kind of talk about more creativity and how you, you know, you kind of raise this finance now to building a, you know, doing property transaction in volume of over $400 million. So the first part, you 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 know, you've built this network of people surrounding you, you know, where you've given value in exchange for the money and to build in your property portfolio. So, how quickly did you hit? The, how quickly did you get to to ten million? How quickly did you get to a hundred million? And how, you know, did you just go all the way straight to four hundred million? Yeah, man. Well, it's um taking a picture. I'm going to post this on social media as I'm thinking yeah. about it. Right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. It's it's like Everybody thinks success 
is like this uh, 45 degree angle. It's like a, a, some stairs that you just climb up and, and you go up and then you, you, you know, hit a plateau and then you go up plateau. That's not what it looks like. Success looks like a hockey stick. It's like you have no success. And then all of a sudden it's like this, right? It goes like, it goes straight up. Uh, that's momentum. That's working beneath the surface. That's that compound effect, the slight edge, right? There's multiple books about it that are really, really powerful um, to check out. And, I, and I, I would check those out. Slight edge, the compound effect. I love, I love, I love that book. Steve, it's a lovely, lovely book. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So, um, you know, I, in, in, let's see, 2000, I had 10 properties in 2010. I actually sold them in 2011. I had one left. I pursued some other endeavors. Got back into real estate kind of in 2012. And, um, and over the course of a, a few years with one private money lender who essentially gave me a bunch of money, we collected about 140 doors. That was a lot of like trading up, trading up, trading up, trading up, buying an eight unit and then trading up into a 14 unit apartment complex. And then all of a sudden I got a 23 unit or 23 door apartment complex. And I just kept on trading up and I got 140 doors. That partnership ended up going south, meaning um, it ended up folding and, and dissolving. We liquidated all those and I essentially pressed reset again in 2015. The good news is I had the reputation. I had the background. I had the experience and I could show uh, uh, history that I knew what I was doing, right? So I was able to go and, and help somebody who found a great deal on an 80 unit apartment comp or townhome development. And I helped raise a little bit of money and I helped him get the loan for it. And he did all the work and I kept 26% equity in that deal. So 2015, that's all I had. 2016, we bought hundred, a 60 unit building and 134 unit apartment building. In 2017, I bought, I don't know, another probably like 300 doors. So I was up to around 600 doors or something in early 2018. And, um, and in 2000, in the summer and June of 2018, there was a 730 unit apartment portfolio that came up for sale and I was able to contract it and we closed on it. And so that really put me on the map and doubled the portfolio size. So I was up to like 1300 units in 2008, uh, 2018. 2019, I bought another 2,000 doors. So I was up to 3,800 units. In, yep. two, in 2020, I bought another 1,000 doors. I was up to 4,800 units. And then in 2021, I bought some and sold some. And um, I'm hovering right around 4,000 doors right now. But if you look at each one of those years, I had 80, and then I had... I bought another 200 the next year. And then I bought another 300 the next year. And then I bought... Uh, about 700 the next year. And then I bought 2000 the next year. And then about another thousand, right? So it's like, it almost doubles every single year. Once you start get, catching some momentum. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not unrealistic that I might pick up 2000 doors before the end of this year, right? In the next six months or so. And, uh, that's, that's a realistic goal that we have right now. So it's, it's just, you know, what is that? It's, it's hard to fathom, but, you know, a lot of us overestimate what we can accomplish in 12 months, but we grossly underestimate what we can accomplish in three to five years. And if you just keep your head down and you keep doing the activities that, that you know yield results in your business, you'll pick up your head in five years and be like, I had no 
I couldn't even fathom being where I am today because I just couldn't think that big, right? But the momentum was working under the surface in year one and year two and year three. And then all of a sudden, you know, you planted all these seeds and you cultivated those seeds for many years. And finally the harvest comes in year four and year five and year six, you know? And so once you become an expert, now it's easy to find deals. Now it's easy to raise money. Now, like it's easier to continue building a business than it is to start a business, obviously, right? But everybody jumps around because it's not easy at the beginning. And so they're like, ah, I worked my ass off for two years and I didn't get anywhere and I quit. I'm gonna go start something new. Well, guess what? You gotta pay the same dues. You gotta do the same amount of work in whatever that new endeavor is in order to become an expert. It takes three to five years to become an expert at anything. So if you're not gonna dedicate at least three to five years to something, don't do it. Don't do it at all. Right. But real estate's not an experiment. Real estate has been around for a long time since feudal lords in Europe, right? Like wealth has been measured in land ownership. And it's not an experiment of whether or not this stuff will work. It's just a matter of time. And are you doing the activities, you know, to collect assets? This is not, it's, it's like, it's not a complex thing. All you have to do is buy real estate and sit on it, buy rental real estate and sit on it for the next 30 years. Daniel, if you, you own 7,000 or 7 million pounds, <coughs> excuse me, of property, if you stopped working today, that property is probably going to val- double in value over the next 20 years. Yeah. And you're going to pay it all off free and clear over the next 20 to 25 years. Yeah. Your net worth is $15 million if you never did another thing today. Yeah. True. Dude, it's, it's, it's not complex. All you got to do is buy a rental property. And then sit on it and let it cash flow, pay down principal, appreciate over time. And you just find yourself 10, 20, 30 years down the road being worth millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, or maybe billions of dollars just by doing that simple activity of collecting assets, rental properties. Absolutely. Like you literally went and broke it down very basic that anyone can literally understand how to build wealth. It's not more complex than that, man. That's all it is. That's the difference between, that's why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Rich people buy assets and which make more money. Poor people buy liabilities, which cost more money. That's the difference. It's not the friggin' political system. It's not the socioeconomic system. It's not what's going on with the economy. It's not what's going on with COVID. Dude, that's not holding anybody back. The only thing holding people back is what they're spending their money on. Are they spending it on assets? Or are they spending it on liabilities? That's the only difference. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you anything less than that because you have to understand the importance of good debts and bad debts. And people spend... On the combo, people spend so much money on designer clothing, clothing when you should be busy buying real estate if you're if you're a real estate investor. Yep. Most of my about, clothes like come says, from H&M or, or Old Navy, dude. Like legitimately, I buy shirts. Like I think this shirt was $10, right? Because I won't spend money on liabilities. Absolutely. This suit I'm wearing is basically listing less than 100 pounds, <laughs> basically. Yeah. You know, and, and, that's, and that's the importance of understanding liabilities and assets. Because they compound the more, you know, they, you know, they, they, these are expenses that compound into the negative or actually shipwreck, you know, and you just have to understand how to do things correctly enough yeah. for you to build well. Now, just, we're just coming to the, towards the end of this, you know, podcast, you know, team, you talk about creativity a lot. Now, how important is it for people? Because your four hundred million dollar portfolio is—I can see so much, you know, ingredients, so much 
triggers that has allowed you build a creative, you know, creatively using creative findings to actually build this really, really well. So how important is people, you know, should build their mindset against, you know, not against, but build their mindset towards leaning towards creativity because it's creativity that's going to get you in the room where you can provide value, where you can provide trust. So you can be a solution provider to allow people to invest in you uh, in order for you to kind of get into real estate and just go and do it. Yeah, I, I think that's a phenomenal question. And what I will say is you're calling it creativity. I would call it, um, and, and, I, and I agree 100%, it's creatively structuring solutions, right? Which is like resourcefulness. People say, hey, I don't have the mind, I don't have the, the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the resources. I don't have the connections. I don't have uh, the people in my network. Dude, I, I was born without any of those things also. So were you. So was everybody else who's got a big business, right? Yeah. The difference is that they didn't say, I don't have those things, and they stopped pursuing it. They said, I don't have those things. How can I get them? That's a different thing, right? Like when you ask a question, it leads you down this path of thinking about answers or asking more questions, asking better questions, which leads to more answers and better answers, right? And so like, I don't have the resources isn't the answer. Resourcefulness is the ultimate resource. If you are resourceful or you calling it creative, if you are resourceful, you will go and find the money. You will find the time. You will find the connections. You will find the people. You will find the information. You will go out and find it. And that's, that's, that's it. If you are resourceful, you can solve any problem, right? And, and if you can't find something like here, Google it, right? Like that's an easy way of to, to start working on your resourcefulness. True. And you think about, think about Google. If you say, Hey, I want, uh, I want pizza. And you just put, type in pizza. It's going to bring up every, every pizza restaurant in the entire United Kingdom, right? If you say, hey, I want pizza in Piccadilly Circus, at, uh, you know, it's a four-star or better rated um, and $1 sign to $2 signs, and that's it, then all of a sudden, you're, gonna, you're asking a more targeted question. You're asking a more uh, pinpointed question, a better question, which leads to a better answer. And all of a sudden, boom, you find the best pizza shop at the lowest price point, highest value in the area that you're going to, and you get a better answer, right? The better question leads to a better answer. So it happens on Google. It happens in real life. If you just start asking yourself better questions of how can I access the, the people? How can I access these groups? How can I get the information out? There's a ton of free content out on social media. You put out content. I put out content. It's all over. And then if you want like one-on-one -on -one attention, then you got to be able to pay for it or create Absolutely. some sort of other value that, that brings value to the person that you want one-on-one -on -one attention with. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, a, um, I think it's a fantastic question. And I think being resourceful and figuring out how to solve problems, the biggest problem solvers, uh, are the highest paid and most influential people in the entire world, right. Is the people who can solve the biggest problems. It's leaders of countries it's politicians, it's business owners, it's scientists, right? It's like 
these people are the ones who are the highest paid, highest sought after doctors, right? Who are the highest paid, highest sought after, most respected individuals is because they solve problems. Well, politicians might create some problems, but most of the others all solve problems. Wow, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree anything less than that, my bro. It's been absolutely a pleasure to have you on this podcast, the Property, Wealth and Business Podcast. Thank you so much, team, for coming all the way from the United States. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. So just before we go, team, you know, um, just want to kind of do you provide any services? You know, you know, what is it? What, what exactly uh, can you offer to anyone that's listening to this and feel kind of, uh, you know, I want to get to know you. I want to know what you do more. What, 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 what have you got? I mean, obviously follow me on social media, right? Connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm I'm active on TikTok also. Just connect with me on any of those. Um, You know, friend me up, follow me, whatever that looks like, and uh, and get around the information, right? Like we were talking offline a little bit before this, but what you guys do and what, what we do here in the United States, they're all the same. It's just different verbiage, different language. They call it different things. And you could take a lot of the concepts that, you know, I share about how we do deals here in the United States and you can implement them in the United Kingdom and in Europe and in Canada and in other countries. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I I have people who are in my mastermind group that are in Alaska and South Africa and all around the United States and the United Kingdom and Australia and uh, Puerto Rico, Caribbean. Like, so yeah, just, just connect with me on social media, follow the content. If it resonates with you, if you like that, you know, shoot me a message and we could talk about, you know, how, how else we can do some business together or partner up or how you can invest in projects in the United States or, um, join our coaching platform, something along those lines. But yeah, man, I, Hey, I I just, I, I appreciate you having me. I love being here. I love trying to share as much value. I, I truly believe wealth is like sunshine. Like there is no limit to how much sunshine you can get and it never takes any sunshine away from me. And I think wealth and knowledge is the exact same thing. And so that's why I do this, man. I try to, uh, there's a lot of people who poured into me early on and I just try to pay, pay it forward as much as I possibly can. So I appreciate you. I respect the heck out of what you're doing here with the podcast and, um, and trying to do the same thing and, uh, paying it forward and helping a lot of people out with, uh, not just business, but their lives. So, um, I appreciate you having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for, for spending this, you know, this day with us. And we really appreciate it. Uh, just before we go, one more question just wanted to pop into, just popped into my head. And I thought, you know what? I should ask it because you are an ordinary guy, the son of an ex-police officer, all right, doing massively well, property entrepreneur, millionaire, uh, done over 400 million, 4,000 doors in real estate portfolio. This is an actual journey that ordinary people can actually transition to becoming extraordinary, successful and wealthy. So my question to you is, can the ordinary dream, is this still possible to becoming extraordinary? Absolutely. I, I don't think there's any limitation to every single person being able to become a multimillionaire. There is, there is no limitation to that. Uh, I think anybody can be that be that person, right? Like there's probably some entrepreneurs who are just kind of like off the spectrum, like Elon Musk, right? He's just, he thinks at a different level. He's just wired differently. And there's probably some people who are born with some of those things, right? I'm not right. I'm a blue collar kid from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, first time I was on a podcast, I was sweating and nervous and (laughs) jittering and stuttering the entire time. I've just done it so many times. Now it's easier for me, right? 
So I've just worked. I've, I've, I've done the work. I put in the reps, right? I started small at the gym before I started putting bigger weights on the bar bench, right? And, and started uh, pushing bigger weights and building more muscle. And you do that same thing in personal development and mindset and skill development in any regard. So um, just realize you got to start out with a little bit lighter of, of weights first, and then you can add on more weights as you get stronger and stronger and tougher. And um, that's the same thing here. Now I can speak on a stage in front of thousands of people, right? Um, when I, I, there's no way I could do that before. So anybody can do it. It is a learned skill and a learned trait where anybody can make millions, tens of millions, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but I do think, I do think there's, there's some off the spectrum billionaires that are just different and, uh, uh, think a little bit differently than, than us, but I, I, it's not that it's not that much different, you know, like they just thought bigger. There's also very ordinary billionaires too. Um, who were just weren't afraid of just doing bigger deals. We weren't afraid of going after bigger opportunities. And they, they're like, Hey, what's the worst thing that I could have that could happen. Right. I go back to zero. Like who gives a shit? At least there's a, a floor to it. Yeah. Right. Versus limitless income potential versus the sky's the limit. You can shoot this thing out of the universe. Like there is no cap on the top side and on, on what the, what the upside looks like. Um, so I think when you go at, at life and go at business with, uh, with that kind of mindset, it, it inspires you to go out and do bigger things. And, um, that's, that's the biggest differentiator. It's not, it's not their, their, their background, their, their race, their gender, their religion, their, where they were born, who their parents were, uh, what their IQ level is, where they went to school, what their zip code is. Dude, that is not the biggest differentiator be, uh, on the size of your success. The biggest differentiator, the most common theme between big success and little success is only the size of the thinking. That's it. It's, Hey, did I go and think in thousands of dollars and then I made thousands of dollars or did I go and think in hundreds of thousands of dollars or did I go and think in millions of dollars? And if you do deals in millions of dollars, you earn millions of dollars. If you do billion dollar deals, you make billions of dollars. It's that's, it's that simple. It's that simple. Wow. Thank you so much, Tim, for your words of wisdom. You've been a strong and massive impact. And yeah, once again, I just want to say thank you for spending this evening with us. Uh, just before we go, uh, just to remind you guys listening from home, listening from your car, wherever you are, don't forget we've got our Wealth and Business Summit coming up in November 2022 and also we're looking to do it, our hosting our Wealth and Business Awards so make sure you share this with a friend of a friend if you felt so inspired make sure you share this on all your platforms uh, with your friends and family so that this can impact and change life so we're looking forward to seeing you on the next episode and take care and have a fantastic day